Thank you for tuning in to the Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Restoration Podcast. Dave, Evan, how you doing? I'm doing, doing well, well, man. I'm doing terrible. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I try and do the intro, and that's what we get. I like that intro. I think that's a good intro. What do you, what do you people in listener land think? Was that a great intro? Click yes or no. <laughs> like or subscribe. Hit rings for notification. Don't forget to hit the bell button. What does that do? We don't have that um, on the podcast. We should. We need to have uh, uh, Spotify come up with that. No, so what it does is it, it lets you know when your favorite YouTube stars make their great cell phone videos and put them on the interwebs for yeah. you to watch but you can like subscribe you can click it and there's three different options like you can be subscribed to a channel but then you can select to not get notified when they make a video which doesn't make any sense to me that doesn't you make can, any sense you can select to get some notifications so like every once in a while they'll send you an update about what your channels are doing and then you can select to get all of them. So every time they upload a video or do something, you will get a notification. So there's different levels. So basically, if you're subscribed but don't get a notification, like you, you select none, you should probably just unsubscribe from yeah. the channel. <laughs> Quick yeah. fact, everyone who subscribed to my channel has selected that option. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dave, I, I, I think I think some of your subscribers have all notifications on so they know exactly when you post a video so they can come and complain about it. <laughs> I have the best, the best fans. I really do. They love, they love my safety features in my shop and ladies, they're the best. Dave, like, to ring your bell, click the notification button. Yeah. I am single and ready to mingle ladies. <laughs> what, what, oh, movie, what movie is the quote from says, um, where the guy's like, nothing in what you just said resembles anything close to being a coherent <laughs> thought. Billy Mads. And we, we are all well, now dumber. dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on I yourself. award you no points, and may I, God have mercy on you. Yes, 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 yes. I feel like that's that's some of your, your commenters. It, it really is. I, I got It's a tough crowd out there, and I think a lot of them don't realize that when I do things that are intentionally kind of like dumb or unsafe, most of the time I'm trolling. Like, Yeah. Because more comments equals more views. Right. <laughs> That's Great. funny, though. It's, it's funny, just funny to see the, the reactions. And yeah. I mean, you know, so, sometimes everybody has their opinion. Everybody has, has uh, you know, what they think they should have done or what you should have done, you know, but when it comes down to it at the end of the day, it's whatever, uh, you know, makes you happy. You, you got to live with the project and whatever you worked on, as long as you like it, then it doesn't <laughs> matter what anybody else says. That's you know, it. And that's kind of what we're talking about today here on the restoration podcast. We're talking about paint or not to paint for every person you find that will say paint something you will find the same amount of people that say do not paint that same thing. And it's, it's a big, it's a big to do in the restoration community, uh, whether or not to paint something that you are restoring or fixing up or whatever you want to call it or leave it alone. And there's arguments for both sides. I've listened to, listen to many of them for, for each way paint or not to paint. 
And I can see it both ways, but you know, we're here to talk about it with uh, you guys as well as um, in listener land. We would really love to know your opinions about painting or not painting. So remember to uh, hit us up on our Instagram, The Restoration Podcast, as well as you can send us an email at therestorationpodcast at gmail.com. So please. Yes. So many emails, guys. Just so overwhelming. Many. Yeah, Over- calm down with those emails. I always put it out there. <laughs> if, you know, if there's somebody who needs to get a hold of us through email, I always put it out there. Um, but, you know, like and, and comment on our Instagram. Tag us, The Restoration Podcast. Uh, in your posts um, so that we can see what you're working on. We can see if you painted something. We can see if you left it alone. And make sure to tell us what you think about that because that is the topic for today. So, gentlemen, what what are we thinking here? Like, when you – well, it's kind of – it's going to be biased here because we're, we've got some projects that everybody's working on. So we got Dave who's working on the power wagon still, and he That's just right. went through a big – I guess you would call it painting. Um, it's it's it was, a coating, but it was painted on. So, Dave, tell us a little bit about that. What what was your thought process for doing that? So, um, for those not following along, I just recently stripped down the frame of a 1958 Dodge Power Wagon um, and got it to hook it down to bare metal and repainted the entire thing using some rust encapsulating paint. Um, and, uh, and then on top of that rust encapsulating paint, uh, which was silver, I used a black ceramic, uh, like two part spray paint to make the whole thing black, like a factory paint job again. Um, and a lot of things went into my head as far as when I was doing the job. Um, my initial thought was, well, once I got the frame really clean, I was thinking about leaving it alone because it looked really cool and I appreciated it's original uh, patina and some of the wear patterns that have developed on the frame it looked great um but at the end of the day this is going to be a vehicle that i drive on roadways and with potentially with salt and you know rocks flying up and i want to protect it i don't want it to rot out on me i mean i kind of stopped that rusting process and um with this kind of a restoration where it is really a functional piece that is going to see a lot of weather i really i made the decision that as cool as the frame looked in its uh, un, like it's cleaned, stripped down, um, preserved state, it wasn't going to be enough. So I decided to take the leap, strip it all off, tear it all down. Very mm. relevant. Um, right. and, um, <laughs> and, and start over with, with a paint job. Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess the, the main theme there for you was preservation and, and keeping intact the frame uh, that you, you have. Because you, you do have another frame that isn't doing so hot, right? Yes. Yeah. The the last I have a, tr- a main truck that I'm restoring and a parts truck, and the parts truck was used as a plow truck, so it like salt every time it hits the road. It's giving its own salt. I mean, the damn thing is completely rotted out. It's patched. It's um, there are places where it rot it, like holes have rotten through the the steel, and I, I just don't want to see that happen to this frame. It's such a nice Absolutely. frame. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the, the key the key word there was preservation with Dave working on his power wagon frame. And, you know, he, he cleaned it up and it looked great. And would it have worked just fine if he wouldn't have coated it? Sure. But then it would have kept rusting and, and would have gotten damaged. And, and there's not they're not making any new power wagon frames as far as I That's know. That's a fact. <laughs> nope. So you have to preserve the ones that you have or else you'll be doing major work to them, or it'll be broken and rust away, and that's no good. 
Now, Evan, oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. I didn't mean to go ahead, sir. Evan, go what, ahead. what is your what's your thought process? I know you you um you restore all kinds of vices as a primary hobby. Like I know there are certain vices that you make as workers versus ones that you are um, kind of just preserving that you are, you baby and take good care of and never use. Um, Absolutely. What, what's, yep. what's your thought process as far as painting versus not painting on some of the different styles of vices that you mess with? So in the vice world, it, it varies vastly by who you're talking to. So what I'm about to tell you, um, some people are going to agree with, and a lot of people aren't going to agree with, um, because you know that's just how the world works. But in the vice world, that's that's a big thing. You know, when you find a vice, when you find a vice out in the wild, and you know, bar it being completely rusted and and all messed up, where you you have to do something to it. Like, say you went into a factory that had just recently shut down, and you found a vice, you know, that had the typical paint layers and grease and stuff, but it it works like it functions. It wasn't stuck. It wasn't seized and you could just bolt it to your bench and it would be good to go. There are some people who really love that like original look where they found it and they just took it and put it on their bench and they're just going to use it and it's, it's ready to go. And that's perfectly fine. That is, that is acceptable as, as long as it works for you. And that's what it comes down to at the end is if it works for you and you're happy with it. Um, personally, I find vices, most of the, uh, pretty much all the vices I get are used, crusty, dirty, covered in grease, covered in paint, rusty to some degree. And it, it comes down to how I feel about each vice when I find it. And this is just like my personal feeling where I look at a vice and it, it, it talks to me and it says, do this or don't do this. And that's basically what I go with. Like I have a vice on my bench right now that still, I, I cleaned it as in cleaned the old grease off of it, but the old paint, the patina is still there. I didn't wire wheel it. I didn't strip all the old paint off. I left it go. And that's the way I love to see it. Every time I go down there, I think, oh man, this is beautiful. I love that. You know, it's, it's, it's over a hundred years old. It has that that feeling to it that you're like, I need to keep it like that. Right. But then I also have another vice right next to it that I completely stripped down. It was rusty, covered in old paint. I took it down to the bare metal. I cleaned it up perfectly. I bought new jaws for it, um, put those on there. I had a new tag made for it. So I went all the way to better than new condition. And I just felt that that one needed it because it's a one of a kind vice. We've never seen another one like it and it deserved to be in tip top shape in, in my opinion. Um, so it, it comes down to for me is how do I feel about the certain vice? What do I think should be done to it? What am I going to use it for? Is it, is it one that I'm going to set on my shelf and just have part of my collection? Then I may not do anything with it. I just like to see it. Um, but then the ones that I use, I decide whether or not I just clean it or if I strip it the whole way down and I paint it and get it up to, you know, new or better than new condition. Um, so that that's my standpoint on on vices. And there, there are people that agree with me and there are people that will say, no, you're wrong. You're doing it. You're doing it the wrong way. And, you know, everybody has their opinion on this. Um, that's why we want to talk to you guys and see what you guys think, because we're just three guys working in our own shops and you know, things work for us and things don't work for us. So we make sure that the stuff we're using works for us. 
So if you have another way that you'd like to do it, please let us know because we would greatly appreciate, you know, the, the different um, perspectives on things. Now, James, what's, Evan, what's Evan, the... I was hope I was hoping you'd be more divisive. I was hoping you'd come in here strong arming the situation <laughs> and we have a really like hardcore debate and well, classic, classic Evan, you just want to be friends with everybody. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I I can't I can't sit there and tell you no, you should or shouldn't do X Y Z with something that belongs to you. I because I I would say well. I, I can't say it. I would say, yeah, you know. You would say go, if, if my universal woodworker was pink tomorrow, you would have a problem with it. Hey, if it makes you happy, I wouldn't like it personally. But if it makes you happy, go ahead and do it. Um, but if this somebody came into my who, shop, this is coming from the guy who the, the vices talk to him. I mean, I I, I can't confess <laughs> that. You, you know, they, they got therapists for that, bud. Yeah. What, what dialect? <laughs> when, when the vices talk, do the jaws open and close? They do. They do. As, <laughs> as, as long as you don't answer them, then you're okay. Oh, man. Evan, you need to do like ventriloquism with a vice. Like a uh, vice that's got like a wiggly uh, look. Right. So, like, we were talking here where I, I guess we have the. <laughs> Sorry, the children, the children interrupted. I apologize. Yeah, no. No, the, we, we have we have like the ultimate perspective here. We have a good sampling with us three because, you know, Dave worked on his frame and he's like, I have to paint this. I have to take care of it and preserve it. And it needs to be coated with something to you know preserve it. I'm like, do it if it makes you happy. If I have vices that I don't paint, I have vices that I do paint. Now, James, I would reckon to say that you... Would never, you would never paint the Universal Woodworker because, you know, just from past experience here, you have spent time, hours and hours cleaning it and putting it back together because you just want that old look. You love the patina. I'm not going to steal your thunder, but that's what I'm guessing. So tell us about uh, what you're doing with the Universal Woodworker. Yeah, Yeah, penny for your thoughts, bud. What's that? I said penny for your thoughts. Uh, they're, they're not worth that much. Um, <laughs> yeah, mine, mine's kind of an as found condition. So with the, the crescent, it's all rust and to repair it, uh, it's going to require some welding. It's going to require some replacement fasteners. Um, and so it, I feel it's given me, not that it's talking to me, but it's given me the ability to be involved more with picking the color. So, um, but I kind of want to respect where it came from. It came from the paper mill and I am wrestling right now with the, the aluminum guards that they put on them were painted a nasty yellow and, and a little part of me wants to go, this is how it served its life was all black with yellow bandsaw covers. That was like the accent, the, the, the mill picked. So when that gets restored, part of me is going to be pulled to to make it look like it was in its functioning days and in its environment. The, the uh, Sydney, however, you're right. I've, I've spent so many hours cleaning all the gunk and crap off of the surface. And thank goodness the surface itself is fairly well preserved. It's got a, a black and hardened uh, encasing on most of it. So all I need to do is do touch up, but the paints picked itself. I have zero interest in, in changing that or stripping it all, that would just be even more heartache and headache. Um, 
but I'm leaving that well alone. That's the character it's had. So I'm coming from opinion where so far I haven't added anything to my collection where I've wanted to go and make it look like a classic machine. I'd, I'd rather just restore it to first working condition. Um, and if it, if the restoration invites me into a lot more uh, mechanical rebuilding and fasteners where I need to make stuff match, then I'm more interested in painting it to become more uniform look. I don't want to have a hodgepodge of new and old and welded seams around, you know, unwelded, un unprotected steel. So my, my thoughts are, are to make it look like one piece again. And if I have the opportunity stripping it all down, I'll, I'll probably restore it to an original color. Otherwise, I'm going to leave it alone. Absolutely. And, and that's that's the thing with me. When I choose to paint something, I will do it as close to the original paint as I possibly can. I will go sure. out of my way to find out what the original paint is. So it will, if I'm going to paint it, it's going to look like it came from the factory. So that's what I did with my Craftsman Vice. I had um, an original catalog that showed the model number for sale. You know, like you would go into the Sears store and say, hey, I want this. Um, and it said that this, these vices came from the factory painted in light gray enamel. And so I, I went out and found, uh, the light gray enamel and I painted it that color. You know, I'm not the kind of guy that would paint a vice and then, uh, pinstripe it and put flames on it. Um, which I, I think those look cool, but that's, that's not <laughs> my style. Um, sure. So when, when I, when I do choose to paint something, um, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Do you paint it, you know, a color that that you personally enjoy, or do you paint it a color to make it as original looking as possible? That's a that's a really good question, dude. I think um, speaking for myself, I, th I think a lot of the time it just sort of depends on what it is. Uh, like it depends on if I'm doing like a little restoration of something small that's kind of just for fun, where I'm not. I just want it to look new again and like be functional and decent. Like I'm, one example I'm thinking of uh, off the top of my head, I found these um, I found these shears. They were like garden shears in a junkyard, uh, and they were just cool and old, cast everything uh, with steel jaws inserted. Um, and I didn't really take the time to do all the research. Well, actually, I think I may have actually done a little bit of research, but I, you know, I think something of that that vintage was like 1900. Would have just been black, probably Japan. Um, but it was like a restoration just for fun. And I was kind of just kicking around. I was going to give him, I gave him to my boss as a gift because he's a gardener. I don't know why, but, um, um, <laughs> but I painted him red because I thought it would look cool and, um, with black accents. And that was just one of those ones where it's like, you know, who cares? Like, it doesn't really matter. I, they basically were trash anyway. And I want to make them look cool for me and make me happy with the way they're going to turn out. But uh, on the other hand, I restored a, um, a, a couple of South Bend lathes, and I went out of my way to find out the exact like paint spec for them. For like South, there's like a South Bend green. It's like a gray green kind of. And um, I did a ton of research and went on the forums and found out what what the uh, the proper mix was and took that to a paint store and like because I really wanted it to like it mattered to me that that would be restored to its origin original kind of uh vibe you know you want it to be the way it was from the factory not like some stupid you know paint that you chose like it would but you know maybe put some racing stripes on there like you'd mentioned 
on the vices. Like it looks, I feel like that generally looks kind of silly and that's some people's aesthetic, but I think for us, I think I, I'm, I'm <clears throat> kind of preaching to the choir here. We sort of appreciate the original industrial flair that um, a lot of these machines and, and tools that we collect had. Um, and there's something about bringing that same quality back to life as opposed to just, you know, restoring them willy nilly. You know, you spend all this time and, and effort to make something not look nice and new again. You don't want it to look like a modern tool. You want it to look like what it looked like when it rolled off the, the assembly line. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would agree. But sometimes a tool breeds its own life. Like, Evan, if you found a Bugatti vice and that Bugatti shop was like bright blue they just decided everything needed a bright blue paint job would you go take it black to back to you know the flat black bugatti or or well, would you say this vice lived in a blue factory so i got the blue one if if i could tell that that was the original paint and it had been that way since new and sometimes it's hard to tell but sometimes you can get a pretty good idea but we're 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 comparing apples to oranges right here. Like I'm 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 doing vices that, you know, are a couple thousand dollars and below. You know, value wise, mm. a Bugatti vice is upwards of ten fifteen thousand dollars. That's no, how much it costs. Don't don't wiggle your way out of this corner. I want the claws to come out. If if I found a blue Bugatti vice. I would probably leave it as is until I could verify that, yes, there are some other ones out there that are painted blue. Because every other Bugatti Vice I have seen has been painted black. And it has, um, well, I, I believe it's red accents on the Bugatti name. Yeah. Real um, quick, I, I'm, I'm showing my ass here for a second. There, there's a Bugatti Vice. Yeah, so the, the Bugatti um, car company, right. the, the creator... Um, I can't remember his name. I mean, it's Bugatti, something Bugatti. Um, Mister. Yes, that's right. Yep. And he made his own tools, and one of them was vices. So the, all the original Bugatti uh, factories, and I believe it's—I believe it was just the factories—had Bugatti vices to help them make these creations of the, the original Bugattis, and they go for crazy money. Um, no kidding. Yeah, one was for sale uh, for $20,000 on eBay not too long ago. <laughs> it didn't sell, but it uh, it was for sale for $20,000. And they, I've seen a couple sell for many thousands of dollars. Wow. Who knew? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Okay. i got to research this now. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, Bugatti Vices. They're, they're beautiful vices. They kind of look like Wilton's in a way. Um, but they're, they're, they got, you know, think of a Bugatti car and think of the person that designed the Bugatti car. That's the same care that went into the vice. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful okay. vice. Yeah. Cool. I'm into it. Yeah. So that's my thoughts there, James. I, it, that's right. expensive oh, vices. Like if it's like, um, it's like, uh, firearms with original patina. If you refinish them, you completely destroy the value. If if I found a Bugatti Vice and I took the finish off of it, I'd probably completely destroy the value. So I'd probably mm -hmm. leave it alone until I could figure out exactly what I was dealing with. Yeah. Speaking speaking of uh, finishing gunmetal, um, Dave, do you have any thoughts, feelings about that realm of restoration for finish or leave alone? 
Well, any time I find an antique gun, I usually just cover it in paint, just top to bottom, even the wood. <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't. Um, <clears throat> so my thoughts are, if it, if I get something that's rusty and terrible, which I mean, I've only done a couple of gun restorations, and they've all been rusty and terrible, because um, that was what I could afford, basically, because antique guns are hella expensive. Um, yeah, like you got to do something because if you leave them alone, they just, I don't know. I feel like most of the time the blue is already gone, um, replaced with rust and oftentimes pitting. Um, the wood is basically trash. I mean, there's really, it's kind of like if you screw around with it and you just hang it on your wall as a rusty, crusty mess, it looks like crap. It's not really impressing anyone. It's kind of looks like trash. Like, so you got to do something. Um, I think, there's some something to be said for just kind of preserving what's there, um, but you know, I like okay, so like I wouldn't sandblast an old rusty gun. I would probably, I think, so like we take a step back. If it was that bad that it didn't even have the possibility to restore, I probably wouldn't buy it to begin with. Um, but if it had a decent finish on it, or like it was only like surface rust, you know, there's some some minor stuff that you can do to kind of remove that and try and preserve some of the patina and finish that's already on there. Um, but if you have a gun that's like, you know, it's got some like minor, maybe it was in a wet environment for a little while, like I've recently experienced, you know, you can take some of that off and replace a little bit of the finish. And if it's just a shooter and like, you're not like a high end collector, in which case you probably wouldn't buy the gun in the first place, you know, it's kind of worth it to make it look a little bit better and to bring it back to that original, to like a, to, to a newer style finish. It, it'll give you, I don't know, like for me, I find a little bit more satisfaction having a nice looking gun than to having an original looking gun. Cause I like to shoot them and I, you know, I hang them on, I've got a couple wall hangers that I've thrown, you know, cleaned up, thrown a little bit of oil on and called a day, called it, a, called it a day. But I think for the most part, <clears throat> at least for me, where it's the emphasis is more on use and I think you guys kind of tend to be the same way for the most part. I mean, we all have some things we collect a little like and what's want to, you know, leave alone. But for things that you're going to use, it's nice for them to be functional and look decent and have that protective finish on them that you can only get if you're going to put it back on in some cases. Yeah. Speaking of firearms, have you guys seen I honestly I don't quote me on this. I can't remember exactly where it is, but I believe something it's it's I don't I don't know why it's talking to me like this but i i'm i'm pretty sure it's in the cody firearms museum i sure. think um there is a cowboy lever action rifle kind of like the the henry um the lever you know the lever action guns and it was left in basically an arid desert area leaned up against the tree or a, a small bush and it was left there for like a hundred years. And then somebody walking through this desert area found it and they literally did nothing to it. Like it had the, the war, the weathered um, wood still attached to it. And I think like a chunk was missing, you know, everything was all rusty. Um, they literally came in and took the dirt and the bush or the small tree with the rifle leaned up against it and put that whole thing in a display case. Because it it has it has stood there for a hundred years since the cowboy left it, and they didn't want to touch it, so they left it there, and they put the whole thing on display in the museum. And I thought that's that was so cool. I thought that was the coolest thing. It preserved the moment. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Right. That's kind of like the difference between like an antique and like a relic. You hear about relics, you know, yeah. relic hunters or whatever. Those things are so beyond uh, even the possibility of repair that they have their own appeal just being a crusty pile of like lumpy, clunky metal. Like those, the guys that, that have like. the uh, like have half of a tractor sitting in their front lawn. Like, you know, like three quarters of the pieces are gone, but you can still tell it was a tractor. But then they just have it sitting there and you can, it's like the wheels are buried up into the ground. Um, and, you know, they, it's just preserved there forever until it, it eventually becomes part of the ground again. Sure. Lawn art, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what Dave's second power wagon will be. Lawn yeah, art. It really, yeah. it really, <laughs> it is, yeah. Ceiling art. A lot of the pieces are like that, sure. So, but Dave, there's, there's... Your, your power wagons, what colors were they when you got them? Gray and yellow? Gray and yellow, yes. And I've discovered and... that the... Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Go ahead. No, is is the intent to uh, restore them back to gray and yellow? Negative. Um, so <laughs> the the yellow one was originally red. I'm staring at it right now. Um, and the gray one, I believe, was originally green um, on the frame and red in the cab. Um, but in the and this is another thing. Um, you guys, we can talk about this. In the the first model year of the Power Wagon, 1946, they had a color that was called Seawolf Submarine Green. And it's this, like, sort of dark green, and it's almost got a tint of brown. Um, and I love it. I'm in love with it. And I'm in love with the title of the paint because it's such a cool, yeah, that cool does name. Sound cool. And, and it's like, you know, it's got this very, like, World War II sound to it. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like almost like a... Well, what did you say the first year was? 1946. Okay, so they they literally probably had thousands of gallons of leftover paint from submarines that they were like, what do we do with this? Right. And very, they, they, probably, cool. they probably painted their the trucks with it. Yep, very, most likely. I think there's something there. Anyway, so I'm going to paint my mine in Seawolf Submarine Green, but that color was only available, I think, that first year, maybe the first two years, um, and mine's a 58. So there's um, this is a bit of a resto mod in that this wasn't a, a, an available color for the year that I had. So I guess I'm being a little daring by going out and doing that. But uh, I think it'll I think, turn out cool. Oh, no, don't, don't get me wrong. Some it's going to turn out awesome. It's just not going to be 100% authentic for 58. Do you and think I'm okay with it. You think you'll get more appreciation of people that that see what you're doing, or do you think it's mostly going to be haters? You know what? Um, to be honest with you, I, I couldn't even care less. And it's one of those things like if I was <laughs> going to take this, if I was going to take this to to Barrett Jackson or something like that, and try and make a hundred thousand dollars off of it, as some of these trucks tend to go or can go for when they're immaculately restored. Um, there'd be something there where it would be like, yeah, obviously this truck is worth less because it's not 100% original or there's no way this could have been done for this model year. But like, I'm just, I'm building this truck because it's cool. Like, and I want it to be as cool as I can make it. So like, that's the coolest paint color they made for this truck ever. So it's yeah. the color that's going on the truck. You know what I mean? So you can no, the whole episode right there. Just don't care. Do what, do what's Yeah. Good. Right. Whether the vice speaks to you or you speak to yourself, do yeah. what's to you. <laughs> Dave, what was the uh, what were the colors factory colors for '58? Um, they're pretty plain Jane, like 
there's like a lime green. There's like a, well, I guess you'd call it like almost like an Onan green, if you know the generator Onan. Yeah, um, yep. there's like there's like the yellow. There's a red, of course. Power wagons are known for being red. Um, there's a couple different blue variations. I think there's like a navy blue and like a light blue. Um, and there's a few greens as well. Like I said, there's the Onan green, and then there's like a dark forest green that's kind of like imagine like the you know forestry department green. Um, but uh, yeah, they just didn't like like you said it uh, with your vices. That none of those colors spoke to me for that model year. That Seawolf submarine green, when I saw it, I was like, that is the coolest color I've ever seen on a commercial truck. Like, I have to, it has to be that color. So, it spoke to me, and so I'm running with it, you know? There you nice. go. It sounds good, man. Yeah. Hey, before we, uh, before we wrap up, uh, two, two more things. I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I think we should each share maybe our favorite resource or place we go to when we're doing research for paint or patina. Okay. Uh, first, first a question, Evan. Yeah. Very important. What is your favorite color? My favorite color for vices is Rustoleum's soft flat iron. I love it. It it makes it look like it's not even painted. Uh, it makes it look like it's just fresh iron straight out of the foundry. Um, sometimes when I get a vice and if I clean it up and there's like, uh, you know, there's just there's some spots that don't come off or or something wrong with the casting where it, it wouldn't look nice if you left the bare casting. I always go to Rustoleum soft flat iron. I love it. It looks great. I love doing uh, that color with gold lettering. I think it looks really nice. Um, so that's that's my go to for my vice paint. Is that what you would have answered on your kindergarten quiz? I think so. Exactly. <laughs> word for word. That's, that's, what I would have, that's what I would have put. No, but I, I like blue. I like blue. Yes. Dave writes in crayon. He, Dave's, Dave's submission is coming through now in crayon. I'll, I'll write it in crayon as soon as I finish eating it. <laughs> I, I prefer to paint all of my things in uh, this great blue. It's called harbor freight blue <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh, hey that's okay. that's okay poser i i you know what i actually really like um uh, i i like that aesthetic of japanning and i i i you know talking about like eric from hand tool rescue on the youtubes uh he recommended to do a really uh authentic uh japanning kind of fake using uh i believe it's the farm implement paint from rustoleum semi-gloss black i love that paint it looks so good on everything i've ever used it on um would definitely recommend that for anything like if you're if you're restoring some like planes or anything that would have been japanned and you don't feel like you don't have an oven big enough to bake whatever you're trying to do it looks really good uh looks definitely looks japan using that paint very nice very nice yeah very nice what about you james my favorite color in kindergarten is green. Okay. I and like green. What's that? I said, I like green. I like green. Uh, and if I had to choose a color, uh, it would be black, like my heavy metal and like my coffee. Okay. Um, my, and my oh. women. <laughs> um, no, I, specifically, I, I, I'm really drawn to matte blacks. 
Um, matte black on uh, textured steel to me um, kind of gives you that uh, that regular cast iron, that classic cast iron feel, just like cast iron skillets. Um, e- even even so far as as I've, I've uh, I like using the uh, rust converter black and just leaving it be. Um, while I'm trying to figure out what color to finish it. Sometimes I'll just leave it as that, especially if it's not uh, near the surface. If it's something buried, I'll just leave matte black. Um, but yeah, black in general. I, I do want to match, so I wouldn't do a matte black if the rest of the tool had something more glossy. Um, but if I had a choice, I'd probably just go find the right black for the, the situation. I don't like uh, tools that have too much gloss because when you try and take pictures or video of it, and it's just reflecting light all over the place. Sometimes that can be obnoxious. So I'd, I'd rather give it a bit of a matte. Um, just it, it gives it some age and character. But sure. uh, yeah, good, and it, good thoughts. Good thoughts. I like that. Yeah. So so the uh, other thing is I feel like we should leave our listeners with a few nuggets uh, to take home for lookups. Mine, everybody should Google a resource called Metal Finishing. There's uh, some online resources uh, and there's some hardback books. I'm still trying to find a good hardback book. The early 2000 hardback books of metal finishing, um, metal finishing guidebook. They're a comprehensive reference source for metal finishing. There is a one that's a PDF. It's 974 pages and it's all gold. Um, Wow. Wow. Literally, we'll walk you through uh every form of finishing metal whether you want to electric plate or belt polish um if you want to get different colors on electroplating or if you want to do um surface treatments and it's really cool because it takes it all the way kind of like hand tool rescue it takes it all the way back to the chemistry so it will give you home brew recipes down to the specific chemicals and water and temperature you need to mix it at and you can go treat pieces of steel or stainless or copper or brass or whatever. And it will tell you a step-by-step process for how to give it a certain color, whether you're trying to match statue colors or you're trying to match certain machining colors. Um, so I'm only you know, maybe 100 pages into reading this, but it is all gold and I'm well over my head in knowledge. So I am saving yeah. this. It's, James, uh, you, you need to send us that link. I, I don't even have no, that link. Never yeah, heard of that. No, who, who, um, who put that out? Who's responsible? What, what agency or, or organization pro, uh, pro, uh, produced that document? So, so it was a, an industry, um, what do you want to call it? Like a reference guide. And it was really sponsored by all the advertisements that's, that are a part of it. Almost like putting together a collection of all your, your latest and greatest electro plating and painting and metal technology companies kind of said, hey, we'll sponsor someone putting all this research together with, you know, our ad space next to it. That's so cool. I wouldn't say it, it's, it's called metal finishing. There's a 2000 year guidebook that's a PDF. So I'll put a link to that both on um, the Restoration podcast Instagram as well as a link in the, the podcast website. But um, I'll, I'll send it to you guys directly. Okay, cool. Yeah, Thanks, it's, it's a stupid amount of information. I'm, I'm way over my head and just totally nerding out on everything. I'm just going to go to 
tractor supply and buy a bunch of steel and go get chemicals and hopefully not have, end up on a terrorist list for buying. No, don't do that. <laughs> well, no, that sounds to, awesome. Not to go not to go super deep and philosophical with the restoration stuff, but at one point or another, everybody's going to be over their head with whatever they're learning, and eventually they won't be over their head, and they'll be a go-to person for that topic. So, like, don't let anything hold you back from, you know, like, take the plunge. You know, if you're looking to learn something, yeah, you're going to be over your head for a while, and then you won't be, and you'll be awesome. Just uh, like, uh, thank we you. All thank you, Sensei Dave. Thank you. Oh, oh, you, you, can just call, you can just call me an idiot, and we can move on. No, well, no. I, that sounds like Let's a great resource. I really like that. Yeah. Um, my my resource contribution would have to be, um, since I talked about, I, I look at catalogs a lot, the, the greatest source I've found for catalogs for vintage machinery is vintagemachinery.org. Um, you can look up manufacturers, you can find original operators manuals, parts lists, um, prices, you can see them, a lot of times they're in color, uh, you, like from direct from the, the factory distributed uh, catalogs. And that's where I find a lot of my information on uh, what pieces I'm missing, as well as what colors things were. Um, so I go into there and I see just like my vices, I found out that the crafts and vices were painted XYZ color because I looked at the catalog. Um, so that is my go to resource vintage machinery.org. Check that out. If you have old machinery that you need to uh, figure out what you need pieces for, or you need to figure out um, what you're missing, or what colors to paint it, and what accessories came with it. That's a great resource for just about any well-known um, machinery manufacturer. Nice. nice. I actually have two kind of not to, not to like. Yeah, I've got two. So my two favorite books in like the topic of uh, workshop work. Uh, the first one is the Starrett Apprentice Handbook. It is excellent for a beginner to learn basic shop skills. How to, how to run a file, how to um, use a chisel, how to swing a hammer, how to um, use different screwdrivers. I mean, it's very basic, but if you're struggling with some basic stuff, like if you feel like you're not filing as, as well as you'd like to when you're doing a restoration, you know, Go back and read from stuff from the early 1900s when filing was like the only option. You know, <laughs> there was a wealth of knowledge in in the Starrett Apprentice Handbook. It's available in um, a reproduction copy for like not much money at all. And then if you want to spend a little bit more money and get a really cool uh, like how to shop book from a similar period, the uh, Henry Ford Trade School put out a production called Shop Theory. I Shop love it. Theory I love is it. An excellent book that was produced around the turn of the century. Well, um, that's not fair. It was produced around, the, I think, in the 20s. Um, and it was produced for a long time, and there's multiple editions of it. But Shop Theory has everything from how to, how to file or how, how to read a micrometer, how to read, a, um, how to read all different kinds of gauges, how to set different things up, all the way to how to run a, a, um, a rotary grinding machine or how to run a um, horizontal milling machine or how to run a lathe it has different all kinds of different stuff speaking of how to run a lathe there's a book called how to run a lathe by sound ben <laughs> that's a great read if you like lathes all kinds of old books you can't go wrong with any of them yeah dave i i it's funny i have both the starrett um the the student guide 
as well as Henry Ford's trade book. I have both of those in the flesh. I love them. They're great. Yep. Nothing like getting uh, your hands on a real book to flip through. It is it is so much more rewarding to find good advice in a book than than a forum. I, I, I love I love the old book smell. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. it gives you that confidence that you're doing it right. That's Absolutely. It. You you know the person that wrote it was actually competent and not just some knucklehead on the internet making a podcast. Yeah, and they always they always write it with an air that you already know what you're doing. Right. So. Awesome. I'm with you. All right. Cool, cool, guys. I think we talked just about some really good topics tonight and kind of covered some good good nuggets. Yeah, absolutely. Versus not to paint area as well as a few other things. Evan so. made friends with everybody. We said some things and we yeah, hope, I try. We hope you express <laughs> your feelings, both good, bad, and indifferent. Share it with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Uh, and we look forward to talking with you more about your choices with painting or patina. Let us know what you be getting into. Absolutely. Remember, guys, hit us up on our Instagram, The Restoration Podcast, or you can send us an email to therestorationpodcast at gmail.com. And this has been The Restoration Podcast with James, Evan, and Dave, where we restore yesterday's tools for the craftsmen of today. Thanks for listening, guys. We love it. Thank you. Yeah, good night. Bye. Bye. Yeah, bye. Now. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> bye. Very nice. We make a podcast things. You know what I like about the um, some device restorations that I see, where guys will paint like this the handle that was originally bare metal, like silver, to try yeah. and make it look bare yeah, metal. They, You're they, like, what? But then they they don't even they don't even <laughs> move it to paint the end that was in the meatball. So when you move the handle, there's a spot that doesn't have paint on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it cracks me up when you see that. It's like, what are you doing, dude? I mean, I guess people most people just don't care. I mean, that's really. Weird. Like, did you see Jimmy DeResta's recent post? He had he got another vice and he painted the entire thing white. I saw that. I, I had a feeling that was going to irk your soul. Oh. No, that's his thing, though, man. Unless they sponsor him, he's not he's not giving away any free ad space. Yeah, Prentice didn't sponsor him on that video.